All right, our text this morning is in 1 Samuel, the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. It's chapter 17, verses 40 through 58. Go ahead and open your Bible there so you can follow along. The topic we'll find there is this. David fells Goliath, then uses the giant's own sword to cut off his head. The title of our message, How to Get Ahead in Life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the life of David and these individual snapshots, Lord, and uh, episodes of his life, the ones that are the most important for us to glean from. And I pray that we would have that understanding this morning and throughout our studies, that what we're looking at is not just a remarkable life lived in the filling and the leading of the Holy Spirit with its highs and lows, but we're looking at an example for our own lives, Lord, as we would desire to walk with you filled with the Spirit and have highs and avoid all the lows. And this morning as David takes on Goliath, I pray that we would learn everything that you want us to learn about our confrontations with the very real spiritual enemies that we face and about the victory that can be ours in Jesus Christ. And if there's anyone here on campus, Lord, that doesn't know your son in a saving way, they're not, Lord, born again. We trust your Holy Spirit to convince them that Jesus Christ is indeed the Savior of the world and their Savior in particular, that he died and rose from the dead that they might live forever. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name and all who agreed said, Amen. I offer you a suggested list of the top five MacGyver inventions of all time. Number five, the egg white radiator repair. Using egg whites and water, MacGyver managed to get a car running again by repairing a gash in its radiator. Once he got the water hot in the radiator, he let the egg whites cook in the liquid and it plugged the holes from within. Now, Mythbusters say that this is actually possible. I think they, they did it once on, on their show. I don't recommend it, but it might be a reason to travel with eggs. <laughs> Number four, the gum wrapper fuse fix. He fixed a blown fuse by joining the two contacts with the foil wrapper. Meantime, he offered the gum to the lady that he was helping. Number three, the fire extinguisher bomb. MacGyver rigged up an improvised bomb using a fire extinguisher and metal hooks. Then he launched it out slingshot style. When the pursuers ran over the extinguisher with their vehicle, the hooks punctured the canister and exploded. Number two, the basement torpedo. Using sticks, rocks, rags, pipe, and a boiler, he escaped from a basement by making a torpedo that flew through the wall. And number one, on this list at least, the flying jeep. In an airplane he needed to escape from, he rigged a parachute up to a jeep, drove it out of the back of the plane, and landed it safely. <laughs> Mythbusters is not going to try that one. MacGyver always knew he had everything he needed to defeat his enemies. As a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I need to know that I have everything I need to defeat my spiritual enemies. In his book, Our Sufficiency in Christ, Pastor John MacArthur puts it like this. Believers have in Christ everything they will ever need to meet any trial, any craving, any difficulty they may encounter in life. Even the newest convert possesses sufficient resources for every spiritual need. From the moment of salvation, each believer is in Christ and Christ is in the believer. 
The Holy Spirit abides within us as well. So every Christian is a self-contained treasury of divinely bestowed spiritual affluence. In David's encounter with Goliath, we have an illustration of this principle of our sufficiency in Jesus Christ to meet and defeat any spiritual foe. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, learn to appreciate that you've been given everything you need to defeat the enemy. And number two, learn to appropriate that you've been given everything you need to defeat the enemy. Let's take a look, first of all, in verses 40 through 47 about appreciating what we've been given. And I'm using this word appreciate in the sense of being fully conscious of something, to be aware of something. We need to be fully conscious and aware of the biblical fact that if we are in Jesus Christ, we've been given every resource to defeat our enemies. Now, I think almost every believer would say, Gene, I know that. Yet on a practical level, we don't always fully appreciate our spiritual resources. Often we look elsewhere first uh, to some natural means or some natural ability before we go to God in prayer or bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. And so on a very practical level, we're not always on board with the fact that all of these resources are available to us. We're going to see in David the Spirit-led man of God who appreciates that God has fully provided for him to defeat his enemies. And so we begin in verse 40. We're obviously in the middle of the story of David and Goliath, uh, but we're picking it up at the encounter itself. He took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. He put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch, which he had, and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Now, David had been offered, but had rejected King Saul's armor. David would face off against Goliath just as he was as a shepherd with the equipment and the mindset of a shepherd. David did not need swords and shields and mail coats. He did not need to wait and go through any special training to become a soldier. He didn't need to watch videos of Goliath's uh, battle techniques. No one taught him Taekwondo or you know, uh, how, to, how to trip giants or to go for the knees or anything like that. I mean, he just, he says, look, I, I, the, your armor doesn't fit. I believe that God has readied me uh, as a shepherd boy watching sheep to take on the fiercest enemy uh, that they can put up against me. God had readied him to face Goliath out in the fields watching his father's sheep. And he would face the enemy just as he was trusting in God's sufficiency. What a great picture this is for us as Christians. David the shepherd boy with the, the, you know, whatever you would normally have as a shepherd uh, facing off against the enemy of God. Now, we appreciate God's preparation in David's life because we've read this story or had it read to us and we know the outcome. We think, oh, yeah, God was so marvelous. He was so busy preparing David out there. And, oh, the lion came and the bear came and he, he was pretty good with the sling and all of that. Man, look at that preparation for that moment. But then we get to our own life and we don't always appreciate that God is preparing us. We think that we're facing something that we're not ready for. But it's just as true of you facing your enemies as it was of David facing Goliath that God is daily readying you. He's doing it in your everyday encounters in what you consider common or mundane. The only prerequisite I can see was David's faithfulness as a shepherd. 
I mean, what if he had slacked off on his responsibilities? I mean, after all, you're out in the field, you're by yourself, you're watching a, a herd of sheep. There's a lot of opportunity to just goof off. What if he had let the lions and the bears make off with the sheep? I mean, did, did they really expect him as a young shepherd boy years earlier to, to fight lions and bears for sheep? I wonder how many did that. And what if he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with his sling? I know I should have some sling training today, but man, what a beautiful day. I think I'll just walk around. And so, no, David was a great shepherd. I think you know that he'd win shepherd competitions if there were such a thing. Why not? He was faithful in what seems like little things. He did not despise the days of small things. And so with us, you may not feel like you're being readied for anything or that anything is really even going on in your life. Be faithful. Faithfulness is achievable for every Christian. Greatness may not be in our future, at least greatness the way that the world would judge greatness. No one may ever hear about you in terms of your Christian walk and, and you know, might not make uh, you know, uh, the list of the Christian top ten or anything like that. But you can be faithful moment by moment and day by day. And faithfulness seems to be the ground upon which so much depends and especially uh, the ability to appreciate God's resources because then I can in my heart have the faith to think, well, Lord, I've been faithful to everything that you've asked me to do with your help, of course, not trusting in myself, but I've been faithful. So I guess this is what you had for me so that I would be ready for what's happening right now. And so I need not worry that, oh, I should have been over here. I I need more education or I need this degree or I need this whatever. We should be getting that, of course, along the way. But when the trial comes, when the opportunity comes, I need to stand on that ground of faithfulness and say, well, Lord, I'm ready. Now, we should stop to discuss the issue of the five smooth stones. Why five and not just one if David was so confident in God's sufficiency? Seems like a backup plan. Well, here are two speculations. Number one, almost every Bible commentator will point to a passage a little bit later that indicates Goliath had four brothers. And so there were five of these guys. He had thus one stone for each potential adversary. Uh, And so uh, in that kind of a culture, it's kind of a Sicilian culture where people killed each other in vendettas. It was. There was the avenger of blood. I kill you, you kill me. I mean, it just went on. Uh, perfected in Sicily, but it started way back then. Uh, And uh, so he had one stone for each of the brothers. Now, secondly, biblical numerologists say that five is the number of man's weakness, consequently the need to rely upon God's strength. You should be careful with this number stuff. If If you search, you know, what does the number five mean, you get 500 different ideas you know well it means this it means that there isn't a bible passage that tells you what numbers mean uh, but numbers are significant and i can at least understand why you might think that the number five is associated with the natural man in his own strength we have five fingers five toes five senses those kinds of things and so as you see man in his natural strength then you see him falling short and needing god's sufficiency to come Along. And so five is the number of our weakness, but God's ability. One more quick thought about the stones. David must have stooped, even knelt beside the brook to choose those stones. 
It's a picture of our coming to the living water of the Holy Spirit for our supply. As David looked into the clear running water, a stone would come into focus. So too with us, the Holy Spirit brings Jesus into focus as we seek Him in God's Word. Verse 41, So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He was only a youth, ruddy or redheaded and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Youth is never an issue with God. Miriam was very young when she helped Pharaoh's daughter save her brother Moses from the Nile. Jeremiah was a youth when he was called into a difficult prophetic ministry. Samuel, whose name is on these two books, was called by God as a very young child after having been left at the temple by his mother in response to a promise. Now, one of the things I am most proud of here in our work at Calvary Hanford is this raising up and training of young men to do the work of the ministry. And the young men that we've raised and trained up are now raising and up and training other younger men. And it's just tremendous. I tell you why, because a lot of churches, uh, you know, if you grow up in a church or if you're a young person in a church, you're always kind of cute. Oh, that's cute. You know, I watched you grow up and it's, it's very hard for people to sometimes receive ministry from somebody that they've seen grow up from a young age. And that's why a lot of times young people leave the church of their youth and go somewhere else where they're not known or start something else. And so it's a, it's a real blessing when young adults and, and, and the younger generation is being trained up and raised up to serve uh, and we should be blessed. And it's a compliment to you guys that uh, you recognize God's leading in the lives of these young individuals. Now, it's noted here that David was ruddy and good looking. Doesn't mean you have to be attractive to serve the Lord. I know it's helped me, but... Uh... <laughs> you know, I was into a thing the other day. You know, you get old and, and you start to get philosophical. And here's something, you know, creepy to think about. What do you really look like? Do you know what you really look like? I mean, you can look at yourself in the mirror in pictures, but I think that we make ourselves in our mind look different to ourselves. We're not nearly as ugly to ourselves as we are to other people, you know. Uh, no, seriously. I mean, you know, your mind, your eyes do all kinds of crazy things. You remember that experiment that, that you know, it was a film I saw, a science experiment, where the guy, he put on these glasses that made the world upside down. And so they were inverting glasses and so he went around and everything was upside down and then all of a sudden his brain compensated for it and it turned everything right side up because that's what your brain does. And then when he took them off, everything was upside down and I, it was really, it took a long time but his eyes finally went back. And you know the thing is, I think that you know, when I look at myself, I don't really know what I look like. I, I like to think I look better than I do. But I don't think that's true anymore. But anyway... So you don't have to be attractive to serve the Lord. Don't even worry about that. It's the inner beauty that we're worried about. But what this means here is that Goliath recognized that he had no battle scars. He, he wasn't you know, one of these guys that looks like he survived some really difficult hand-to-hand fights. He didn't have any experience fighting with men. But he was a world-class God-seeker. And that's really the thing that Goliath couldn't understand. The first century disciples of Jesus Christ, 
after his death and resurrection, when they were starting to turn the world upside down with the gospel, they were once described by their adversaries as uneducated men that had been with Jesus Christ. That, that's the only explanation that they... Well, who are these guys? Where did they come from? They're uneducated men. They're dummies for Christ who had been with Jesus Christ. The other day, some of the pastors were trying to figure out, I, I guess it's important in today's you know, modern age with all these emergent ideas to, to come up with new names because nobody likes the word Christian anymore. Did you, have you encountered that? People don't like to, they don't, maybe you haven't, God bless you, but a lot of people are trying to come up with names. We don't want to be called Christians anymore. We want something that's more relevant, something that's more real. And so they come up with followers of Christ, Christ followers, disciples, you know, and stuff. One of the guys said, I'm an uneducated man that uh, has been with Jesus. And you know, that would be my choice. I'm just some, I'm just a guy, you're just a gal that has been with Jesus, and wherever we are with him, he's equipped us for whatever it is that we're doing. And we can share the greatest gift of all, eternal life in Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 45, David next appreciated his superior supernatural arsenal. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Goliath is like a walking tank. He's robo-Philistine. Plus, he had a shield bearer who undoubtedly carried additional weapons. But the sense I get from David is that he did a quick inventory and he said, that's all you got? You got this giant spear? You got a shield? A little guy over here with some ninja throwing stars? And so, I mean, is that really what you're going to come against God with? David had a spiritual arsenal. First of all, he said he had the name of the Lord of hosts. Name equals authority. He was authorized to act on behalf of the heavenly hosts at the Lord's disposal. David knew there was a supernatural realm surrounding us, one which, if revealed, would show multitudes of God's created angels standing ready to carry out His will. You must always appreciate that your struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers. The battle is thus won behind the scenes using spiritual weapons that are mighty. And on this topic of authority, just for a minute, I don't want to get off on a sidetrack, but think of the tremendous authority that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ. Do you ever think how amazing it is that in a one-on-one encounter with a non-believer, you can declare with absolute authority and certainty that if they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, confess their sins... He will forgive them their sins and they will be born again and have eternal life. Do you understand what a statement that is? Uh, you know, Jesus one time when they let that guy down through the roof of, of the room in which he was teaching, he looked at him and he said, wow, your sins are forgiven you. And they, the, the, the religious leader said, who is this man that he forgives sins? And, oh, Jesus, oh, you don't think I have the authority to forgive sins? So here, watch this. He raised this guy up off of his sickbed. Rise up and walk. But the real authority, the real power was the forgiveness of sins. And maybe you haven't thought about it in a while, but you declare to people that you are, that God is forgiving their sins, that they have eternal life. It's not a maybe, it's a definite. It's a tremendous authority that outranks any authority on the earth. Now David also mentioned the God of the armies of Israel. Now it's true the Israeli army seemed to be faltering 
refusing to engage the enemy. Nevertheless, Israel was still God's elect nation, and that meant to David that his promises to them would not fail. The church might seem to be faltering, falling short, whether it's the local church, our church, or the church at large. Jesus nevertheless promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. If we think the church at some level is faltering, the goal isn't to rally the troops somehow. It's to have personal revival. If you ever start to feel like, gosh, the church just isn't doing what it should do. It should be doing this. Whether it's our church or the church in Hanford or the church in the world. Take a lesson from David. David didn't go to the army and say, hey, you guys are blowing it. You don't have this going on and you don't have that going on. You need to establish this. You need to grow in this area. David said, I know that God's promises can't fail to the armies of Israel. If those guys aren't going to take on the responsibility, I'll do it by myself. And hopefully they'll follow my lead. And that's exactly what happened. The, the, the situation is always the burden that God has put on you. And that's why we joke about it, but a lot of times people will come and they say, Gene, uh, some, you know, I've noticed that you know, this isn't happening. So, you know, there's a ministry here that, that just isn't happening in our church. And if it's something that's in line with our vision and our philosophy and all, we get big smiles and we say, brother, sister, God has evidently burdened you to do that ministry. No, no, he hasn't. I have a burden to see the church do this. Oh, no, we're blowing it. You wouldn't want us to do it anyway. We're just, we're blowing it. We need somebody like you, you know. that. And, and it's kind of comical, but that's the truth. A lot of times God puts a burden on your heart. And then you work in conjunction. I, I love the church, our church, the church at large, because it is Jesus' bride. It is Jesus' body. And I'm loathe to say anything negative about the church especially when it's faltering, because all I'm doing is revealing that I am not walking in personal revival. And so, David, a great example. Uh, You're not ever going to be able to uh, exhaust the examples David provides for you just in these opening chapters of having begun in the Spirit and what it means to walk in the Spirit. Now, David's next statement is insightful, verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you. I will take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David outlined exactly what was going to occur. Because it is so specific, I say it was a prophecy. God told David what he was going to do. It's another reminder that God is always speaking to us, always seeking to lead us. Verse 47, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. If you read those words carefully, you see that David appreciated his role as a man who revealed the strength and the glory of God. His only desire was that at the end of the day, God would be magnified by his actions. He made no mention of his own involvement. And he even spoke of our hands, not my hands. The army was... They weren't helping him at all. There weren't any hands. It's like, who are you talking about? What hands are you talking about? David didn't go out and say, well, I'm going to do this with the Lord's help, of course. David went out and he says, the Lord is going to wipe you out and it involves every believer that's here. Uh, I like that. I love that. 
We have a lot to appreciate, to be fully conscious and aware of as believers in Jesus Christ. As quoted earlier, every Christian is a self-contained treasury of divinely bestowed spiritual affluence. Here are some ways our sufficiency in Jesus is declared to us in the New Testament. It's just a sampling. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Colossians 2.10 you are complete in Him. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And John 1.16 Of His fullness we have all received. When you read stuff like that and you see the example in David, you could ask yourself, what do I need today? Do I need wisdom? Do I need joy? Do I need peace? Do I need comfort or hope or love? What spiritual resource do I need? And the answer is, I have all of them already to appreciate when I see Jesus Christ and what He has accomplished for me on the cross at Calvary. And that brings us to verses 48 through 58, learning to appropriate those resources. It's one thing, one very important thing, to appreciate them. It's another thing to appropriate them and put them into action. All David had done so far was talk. He still had to face the giant in battle. It was a put-your-walk-where-your-talk-is situation. And so in verse 48, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David didn't just walk the walk, he ran the walk. Wouldn't you like to be described as running with the Lord? You never know when your pace is going to need to change from a regular walk to a jog or a full-on sprint. That's why you need to be ready to run. Hebrews 12, 1 puts it like this, Lay aside every weight and sin which easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so, even in your daily walk, you're ready to run when the Lord calls you. Verse 49, then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. You'd have been disappointed if you were watching this on pay-per-view. It was like those of you who are old enough to remember Muhammad Ali's phantom punch to Sonny Liston. Less than two minutes into the fight, Ali, while moving back, hits Liston with some kind of a little punch and Sonny Liston goes down and the fight is over. Pandemonium. I only remember it. I was a small child. I only remember it because my dad would never let it go. <laughs> that was fixed. The fix was in. He didn't even hit him. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tremendous uh, you know, thing. It's that famous picture. You've seen that famous picture of Muhammad Ali over Sonny Liston growling at him with his fist. Two minutes into the fight. Now, a lot of you guys, I know you like to watch these pay-per-view fights. I don't care. Watch them. That's your prerogative. But how many of them, seriously, are over in like less than two minutes? Uh, I mean, all the time. Somebody gets bit on the ear. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's this big build-up. It's the battle of titans, battle of the century, you know. And then two minutes into it, one minute into it, one round into it, the whole thing is over. Just watch any of the Rocky movies if you want action. I think, like, Rocky 17 is my favorite. But uh, The sling has been recognized throughout history as a deadly weapon. In the Bible, in the book of Judges, 
Judges chapter 20, verse 16, you read about, and I quote, 700 select men left-handed, everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. And so they had this sniper force in the time of the judges. If you were left-handed, you could try out for the slingshot brigade. And, and they, they had 700 guys who they could position uh, in these various battles who were specialists with the slingshot. The sling is still utilized for hunting small game. If my research is accurate, the Guinness World Record for distance of an object uh, slung from a sling, 477 meters, which is pretty far. If I could do meters into feet, I'd tell you how far that is, but... The velocity of an object shot from a sling has been calculated at at least 160 feet per second or 110 miles an hour or the average speed of a Toyota. (laughs) That is not funny, by the way. In David's use of the sling and stone, I see a combination of natural skill and the supernatural. David had the skill to hit the forehead from a distance while running. Upon impact, the stone sank into Goliath's forehead. That was God's touch. God chose to use David's skill. We should hone every skill. We should enhance every ability, then offer it to God to use as he sees fit. The idea here is that, yes, God uses me just as I am. He readies me. But I also need to be faithful to hone everything he's given me, even though I'm not sure how he's going to use it. I can't just sit around when I should be studying or praying or reading or getting better at what he has given me to do and think that he's just going to zap me with supernatural skill. As I said earlier, David had to already be proficient with the sling. God could have killed Goliath in a variety of ways. You understand that, right? He could have just, Goliath could have woke up dead, which is one of my favorite expressions. God kills people in a variety of ways in the Bible. When you know, I mean, uh, later on we'll see that an angel goes into the camp of the Assyrians and 180,000 of them are dead, you know, uh, overnight. And so, I mean, God didn't need David to be really sharp with his skills, but he chose to use it, and, and we need to be faithful. Verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Now, this is a problem because Goliath needed to be decapitated. Following through is an important part of appropriating victory. When the Israelites, for example, went in to conquer the promised land, they sometimes chose to enslave some of their enemies after they defeated them. They ought to have followed through and killed them, as the Lord said, because years later those same enemies would grow strong again and cause them enormous difficulty. Is there some area where you have gained some ground but then failed to follow through? Follow through today. Finish it before your Goliath gets back up. I see this sometimes in the lives of older Christians, not necessarily older in years, but you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. Maybe you had a radical conversion. You were into some things that you know are part of your old life. Then you walk with the Lord and you're a mature and maturing Christian. And then for whatever reason, you begin to think that some of those old habits, that you can handle them. Uh, that they weren't all bad, they were just partly bad, and if you can, you know, glean what is good from them and leave the bad parts out, then you can enjoy them again. And, you know, that might even be true at some level for some people, sometime. But too often, what happens is that your Goliath gets back up, 
God went through all the trouble to have his stones sink into his head. He's been dormant all these years. And then you go back and revive. Hey, Goliath, come on. Come on. Come on. I like that song. I like that drink. I like this. I like that. I can handle it. And I tell you what, you do not want to wake up sleeping Goliaths. They're nasty. They're, they're upset. They come in and they get you. And so be careful. Follow through and don't wake them up. Now what happened in verse 51? He ran and he stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, killed him, cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. What happened to Goliath's shield bearer? I've often wondered about that. He was out in front of him. Well, apparently he just turned tail and ran, and then all the Philistines fled. Now, you remember, Goliath had promised they would surrender and serve Israel if anyone defeated him, but instead the Philistines reneged and they fled. Regardless your victory over them, your enemies will always regroup and come at you another way, another day. As long as we are in these bodies of flesh, we will have the world and the flesh and the devil to struggle against. We have every resource to walk in victory over them, but our ultimate final triumph won't come until we are in glorified bodies with the Lord. Emboldened by David's victory, the armies of Israel finally engaged in battle. Verse 52, now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted. They pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley into the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharaim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. And so now we see that they all appropriated what David had won for them. If you really want to be a person that helps other people walk in the spirit, those you love will then enjoy the plunder of your victories. Verse 54, David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem He put his armor in his tent. Even today, fighting men will acknowledge their victories in one way or another. Nothing wrong with looking back on past victories as long as it doesn't keep you from moving forward. We can never afford to rest in the past. Verse 55, when David saw, excuse me, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Could be at the beginning of this that Saul was trying to figure out where to send the death notification. Because I don't think Saul had any clue as to what was going to happen. But by the end, I think he wants to honor David's family. Now, commentators get concerned since Saul didn't seem to know who David was. But notice, Saul didn't ask who David was. He asked who his father was. I think he just wanted to properly honor David. And after all, this was a tribal society. And so family associations were very, very important. David's family didn't think much of him, but they would be honored by the king on account of him. There are promises in God's word that if you walk with the Lord, your family will reap spiritual benefits, or at least they can. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 comes to mind where believers are encouraged to stay married to their non-believing spouses, thereby sanctifying the entire home. 
First Peter chapter three, the wives of non-believing husbands are told that they can win their husbands without a word by their proper conduct in the home. If you really want someone to change, appropriate all God's spiritual blessings in your own walk. Concentrate on your walk, on bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit, not on the other person changing, not on getting rid of the other person. Let the Lord deal with that. You just walk like a Christian. Mexican tycoon Carlos Helu has beaten out Americans Bill Gates and Warren Buffett to become the wealthiest person on the earth. He took the top spot on the 2010 Forbes list of world billionaires. He has an estimated worth of $53.5 billion. And we look at a guy like that and we can see with our eyes the kind of unlimited resources that he has. Houses and cars and yachts and properties and just anything you can imagine from the, the point of view of this world, any physical thing that he would want, he can have in abundance. You and I are far richer in spiritual resources. Mercy and grace are ours in superabundance, as are every other thing necessary for life and godliness. And here's something to think about. Your Goliaths, and there, there will be multiple Goliaths, some are small, some are big, but whatever trial, difficulty, circumstance that you face, your Goliaths are designed by God to get you to draw from His abundance in your time of confrontation. You are David. Lord, I'm just a, you know, I'm a clerk, I'm a, I'm a housewife, I'm a whatever I am, and I'm facing this spiritual giant. And the Lord says, yeah, and I have equipped you just as you are. Well, Lord, I haven't been a Christian very long. doesn't matter. You can still tap into those resources. In fact, oftentimes the younger Christian has a greater awareness of those resources. Isn't that true? It's been, it was true in my life. When you first get saved, it's like, wow, I've just been forgiven all my sin. I'm going to heaven. You know, it's like those, you know, at the end of the football game. Gene, you've just been saved. What are you going to do? I'm going to go to heaven. You know, the Disneyland ones, you understand what I'm talking about? Come on, it's not that late. It's only five minutes past the regular time. The study probably isn't even 38 minutes long yet. But anyway, uh, so, you know, it, you, you've got those resources. And God said, you look at that, and you, I always am thinking, man, that's a huge Goliath. I mean, that's a giant problem. I don't see any way around it. I can't get through it. I've tried to just do nothing, but he keeps gaining ground. And God says, okay, look. I have designed this. I've given it to you so that you can realize that you can stand just as you are. You can begin to run and you can defeat this giant with the uh, super abundant spiritual resources that I've given you. Wisdom, comfort, joy, uh, power, strength, might, whatever it is that you think you lack and need, God says, provided in Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. You're in Christ. Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit's in you. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places is yours. The fullness of Him dwells in you. We just need to appreciate that and then appropriate that. Father, we thank You for these things. They're awesome to behold in the life of David. But I pray, Lord, that we would behold them more in our own lives as we put them into practice. Lord, I've got some giants in my life right now. So does every believer in Jesus Christ here. If they don't think they do, then they're being deceived. Lord, there's a, war a warfare. Uh, there's, there's a thing going on between Christians and the world and the flesh and the devil. 
I pray, Lord, that we would meet them head on in the you know, natural ability, of course, that you've given us with our skills and our talents, but depending upon you for the superabundant resources that are available to us in Jesus Christ. Help us to appreciate and then appropriate, Lord. And again, if there's someone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, they're not even a Christian, this is all news to them, I pray that you'd bring them forward after our service ends to pray with one of the guys, Lord, that they would humble themselves before you, that you would exalt them and lift them up and give them eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And everyone said, amen. Let's stand together.